to the Driven by Diversity podcast. I'm Mariana. And I'm Steph. And every week we shine the spotlight on underrepresented groups in the world of racing. Our guests share their journey into the sport and also delve into what diversity and inclusion means to them. We hope that we can provide you with real role models who you can relate to and who represent you. And more than that, that you'll feel inspired and encouraged to know that you can make it in motorsport, no matter your background. If you've ever wondered about the path to becoming the director of strategy and sporting at McLaren Racing, then this one's for you. Our guest's first taste of life in F1 came when undertaking his master's project at Williams, only to go on to a career in consulting and even moving to Australia. He then came back full circle to the Grove-based team, which would later see him move on to further strategy roles at Force India and now McLaren. Always in pursuit of his passions and interests, some may say that it was this love for what he did that naturally led him to where he finds himself today. During the season, you'll most likely spot him on the pit wall, making the all-important race strategy calls, but also looking after sporting matters, including adherence and interpretation of regulations. When not at the track, he leads the McLaren Engineering Graduate Scheme, helping funnel through the next generation of engineering talent in Formula One. Together with his team, his involvement with the programme has seen them strive for new ways of reaching diverse young people, as well as making the recruitment process as inclusive as possible. We're in for a great chat today with Randy Singh. So to start, Randy, can you tell our listeners what your job title actually is and what your role entails? Yeah, so I'm Director of Strategy and Sporting now at McLaren, um, which means I'm responsible, let's cover the strategy side first, because that's what I've done for longest. So I'm responsible for the race strategy. Uh, so that's when we pit, um, like how many stops we do, what tyres we fit. There's some bigger things behind that, things like um, what we do in wet weather, what we do in qualifying as well. Do we run again? Do we sit in the garage and so on? Um, and occasionally it spans even wider than that. Like um, when do we take power units to take penalties if we have to? Um, what areas should we focus on for next year and in future years? Like what matters more um, pace-wise and so on? Um, so yeah, it can span from like uh, literally three-second decisions, like when the safety car comes out, all the way up to thinking about like the next year or the next couple of years, um, which is like which makes it really cool. Um, and then on the sporting side. This is often like a difficult one for people to like get their heads around. So uh, like some really obvious stuff, like if we break the rules, uh, understanding whether we've broken the rules or not, um, defending ourselves if we've broken the rules, uh, all the kinds of stuff like a driver gets summoned for not abiding by the safety car delta, that kind of stuff that you see on TV quite frequently. Um, I'm kind of responsible for for that. Um, But then there's some like wider discussions about particularly this year and last, like what should the calendar be? should the race weekend format change um and for example i am fortunate enough to sit on the committee that that sort of decides like the sporting rules for next year and contributes to that so we have one hour um, less of running on friday so we have a one hour p1 and a one hour p2 and i was involved in the discussions around that and different qualifying formats and so on job sounds absolutely fascinating to be honest you're stuck into all the really exciting parts of it by the sounds of things but you actually started your career in consulting I believe similar to actually similar to me I'm currently in consulting but how did you transition over to F1 and what was it that made you realize that this was the sport for you? 
Yeah, uh, so actually I did a placement at Williams um, in my final year for my uh, master's project. And I really wanted to do strategy. And so I made sure the placement was about strategy. Mm-hmm. And then I got to the end of the six month placement and uh, I had a really tricky choice, which was stay at Williams and carry on doing strategy, which was a really serious consideration, uh, or go back to university and get the degree that I'd spent the last four years working on. Um, <laughs> I couldn't do both. So I decided to go back to university, finish my degree. And then there wasn't a strategy job uh, available. Someone actually really talented took the role at Williams and um, ended up being my boss later on, which was brilliant. So I thought that I'd do something else. Like there was a job available in Formula One, but not really what I wanted to do. So yeah, I decided that I'd go and work in consulting initially. Got picked up by this like amazing tiny consultancy called Stroud. Uh, and I, I was there for a year. And I have to say that some of like the skills that I learned there, the way of approaching problems, are uh, like the, the basis of how I approach work to this day. So that was an amazing experience. Realized it wasn't for me, even though I was learning so much, um, went to do something a little bit more mathematical. Um, So I trained as an actuary and did some investment advice at KPMG, um, which, again, I loved, learned some skills that come in useful to this day, uh, more technical skills and more modeling-based skills, but like really useful, great bunch of people. And then I decided I was going to go to move to Australia. Um, So I moved with KPMG, who supported me gave me a really excellent job in Australia, had uh, probably like one of the best years of my life doing some really cool, cool fun stuff, uh, like insurance and stuff is called superannuation there. So it sounds really cool as well. And um, yeah, it was really good fun. Got my citizenship, was like just getting settled down to like a long career in super, as we called it. And uh, got a phone call saying that the person who'd taken the job at Williams was leaving, uh, the job was available, would I like to interview? Did an interview on the phone and I think three weeks later I was back in the UK um, to like formally sign a contract doing strategy at Williams, uh, which, yeah, like uh, I always kind of hoped that I'd get back to doing like the dream job um, that I had, which was strategy in Formula One. Yeah, in this case, it was just a case of waiting a few years and actually learning some stuff that um, has helped me in each of those jobs in my career in in like really an immeasurable way, I think. Looking back, if the job in strategy had been available straight after university and I'd taken it, I'm not sure I would uh, be, um, uh, I'm not saying I'm good at my job, so like I wouldn't be careful how I say it, but I'm not sure <laughs> I, I would be doing the worst job without those experiences. So um, yeah, like it was a roundabout way of getting into F1, but like an amazing experience. That's really cool to hear. And I love that we hear this quite a lot with the guests that we have on our podcast that it is sort of like a loop or a zigzag with in terms of their career path a lot of people when they're young they think you know of their their, they have their dream job in mind and they think it's a straight path I've got to do xyz and I'll get the job at the end of it but it's really important also to recognize that all of those experiences that you have make you a better person professionally for the eventual role that you do settle, settle into as you have described there. Um, going back a little bit to the beginning, so pre-university and even covering what you did at university, what sort of qualifications and training did you undertake uh, or choose to study? Because I think for any young people looking to follow a similar path to you, sometimes when choosing their GCSEs, A-levels or university course, they might not um, know what the best route is to take. 
because there are so many different options and different routes available what would you what would you say and what did you do yeah good question uh a few years ago now um so i always i always knew that i was better at things like maths and science than i was at things like english and re and so on so uh, i really like strangely i really enjoyed maths and the sciences um at school and like primary school and so on i remember like learning about shadows and stuff in infant school and finding that fascinating so i kind of always knew my interest was on that side of things if i'm honest like i didn't get into formula one until i was like maybe 17 or 18 maybe a bit younger than that and it, i got into it because i played a game on the n64 and i loved the game <laughs> and my cousin introduced me to it and then i was like oh i want to watch this on tv and uh I got into Formula One in a really strange way. So like none of my considerations at that age were really about Formula One, more just what I enjoyed. And I think I did something silly that I imagine lots of people do. I got to high school focused on like those subjects. And then it got to like picking, like, we didn't really pick GCSEs very much. There were a few choices. So I picked history over geography, French over German, more because I, thought I was better at history and French than geography and German and we like we pretty much all of us did all the sciences so um, there wasn't really that much of a choice and I chose to do something called additional maths um, because I really like I actually genuinely enjoyed maths and uh, I was um, uh, I was able to pick that stuff up really like nicely and I liked learning the concepts and stuff so I did additional maths at GCSE nothing else and then I remember from like my career stuff I think I went through the careers book and found the highest paid job I could find, which <laughs> I, I strangely think was being an actuary, which I ended up actually being at one stage. And uh, it was like, do lots of maths and stuff. And I was like, okay, this was PF1, like thoughts coming into my head. I was like, okay, I'm going to do maths, further maths. And then I couldn't work out which science to drop. So I ended up starting off with all of them uh, with the plan to drop a couple of sciences um, after I saw saw which ones in a level were like less interesting and i ended up keeping them all like it wasn't like it wasn't necessarily the most sensible thing to do but like i enjoyed all of them and i was able to just about keep up with doing all of them so i did maths for the math the three sciences general studies because we were forced to um and i really just wanted to keep my options open and do stuff that interested me and to be honest like uh, i didn't do any topic that didn't interest me and there's probably a few other things that i would have done if I would have had time, like I would have enjoyed doing something like economics. But I picked what was interesting to me. And then even when Formula One came into my head and universities came up, again, like I didn't apply to do engineering at first. Um, I really wanted to do like what interested me. And I think that's like some advice I'd echo for other people. And so uh, I applied to do maths and stats actually, got in, um, went to Oxford, did maths and stats and realized that uh, I hated it. And it was not like, it was not like maths at school. It was like much more, I, I, the professors were brilliant. It was hard as well, which made it easier to like realize that it wasn't for me than if it had been easy. Professors were brilliant. The topics were like super interesting, but it was, uh, it was abstract. And I, I was kind of sat there thinking like, this is not maths A level or further maths A level. And that's kind of what I wanted to do and maybe a bit of physics. And so I went to an engineering lecture to see what engineering was like at Oxford and um, they do a general engineering and I sat in a lecture uh, about beams, I think. Uh, so civil um, civil stuff and like not where my interest ended up being. Uh, I was like, I think I want to do engineering. So um, 
uh, Oxford were keen that I proved that I could do maths before I could do engineering. So I did did the maths and stats, and then I swapped to engineering, and I did general engineering. Uh, and again, like I knew, like Formula One was like a dream job. Like to be honest, it seemed infeasible. Like it was like I'm never going to get a job in F1. So I kind of just like plugged away with what I enjoyed: general engineering for a couple of years. I uh, had some great uh, friends in my college who like really helped me step up my level, uh, great tutors, and um, came to final two years and I decided to do uh, biomedical um, because, I, again, I found it interesting. And engineering was really interesting, but um, in my second year, I switched to engineering economics and management to get a bit more exposure to more interesting stuff. And like that was all deliberate. Like It wasn't like I could have focused a bit more on mechanical. I could have focused a bit more... Uh, on other areas that would have helped get a job in F1. But um, economics and management was like super interesting. It was tough doing all of that stuff. Um, biomedical, I knew, wouldn't help me get into F1, but I found it fascinating. And yeah, like, so I did that. And then in my final uh, in my final year, I was like, I want to work in F1. So I wrote to all the teams, uh, got interviews at like several. I wouldn't suggest this approach to anyone else, but I um, wrote to the CEOs or the team principals and I stamped the letters of private and confidential. So I thought they'd open them. And, Amazing. Yeah. Strangely, like eight years ago or nine years ago, whenever it was, six team principals opened the letters and they were uh, crazy enough to say, give this guy an interview. And then I went and pitched that I could build like an amazing strategy system. Um, looking back, I think if I came along to myself, I'd be like, this guy's crazy. Um, <laughs> and uh, I love places... that approach. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that yeah. is innovation. <laughs> that makes uh, you like, stand out. Yeah. I mean, at the time I stood out as like someone crazy <laughs> who thought he could change the world in strategy. And um <laughs> Yeah, it worked. I had six interviews. I didn't didn't get them didn't get them all. And then um uh, yeah, Williams like they were like um they didn't have much in place. Like the person who'd done it before wanted to step back from doing it. And uh it just seemed like an amazing opportunity. So I did six months there, uh, finished my degree uh in engineering, economics and management after all. Uh use that degree to get a job elsewhere and like it didn't really like not focusing my degree on it didn't really impact me in any negative way if anything in a positive way I would say like all the way along I think something that like really worked for me is doing what I enjoyed and what I thought I was good at like was linked to that as well so yeah people often ask like what should I do as a degree or GCSEs or A-levels to get into Formula One and I'd say like having a strong backing in STEM subjects is um quite important normally if you want to work in the stem side of formula one like i think that's probably obvious and goes without saying but like i think so much more important than that is doing something that you enjoy and you're passionate about and that you can excel at um and we interview people with all kinds of backgrounds um and yeah we like we mostly hire mechanical engineers we mostly hire aerodynamicists there's a number of us here who like never actually did that stuff um and did what we enjoyed instead and um I think there's probably fewer of us, fewer people of those backgrounds applying. Um, but yeah, I don't think it hampers you massively if you, yeah, if you choose something you enjoy. And if anything, I'd still like very strongly recommend that people do that uh, over something that they think will get them the job that they want. Yeah, I think that's super important because often 
within F1, we you speak to a lot of people who just dream of the job in F1, whatever it might be, and they just look for the route to get to the job as opposed to doing what they enjoy. And ultimately, you're not really going to end up being successful if you do get to F1, if you're not doing something you enjoy, because it will actually take take all of the enjoyment out of it anyway. Uh, so yeah, definitely some good advice there. And it's really interesting to hear how you just followed whatever whatever was taking your interest at the time and ultimately it did it did land you where you needed to be even with some crazy tactics on route <laughs> to get yourself noticed but it paid off and bringing it to modern day to now what is a normal day in the office like for you and compare that to a race weekend what what are both like ah interesting like uh today in the office uh has been strange like we're in covid times so Came in, did some uh, did some work on the graduate scheme, like a last batch of CVs for like this year's entry. Um, we had pit stop practice, which I went and observed. I don't really have like a huge amount to do with that directly, but I try and help guide um, pit stops into like a better area where I can help. Um, had some meetings about different things, about people who were volunteering for us next year to do some strategy work. Uh, had some long sort of meetings about career development and like making sure that people are on the right personal development plan. Um, had a meeting with my boss, Andrea, about all kinds of like stuff, like what things matter that we should be working on. Like a really great meeting about, Randy, I could do with you working on these things or um, asking like my opinion on stuff. So we talked a lot about getting Daniel up to speed um, and a lot about actually like some of the stuff that we've done to get Daniel up to speed um like we can learn from Philando as well so like those discussions are really interesting and yeah so like today's been like a day of meetings watching some pit stops talking about pit stop cameras so strange I would say days in the office have no pattern to be honest um I find myself doing much more sort of development of like the people that report into me and often like at the moment like giving people advice when even when they don't report into me um which I find really like uh, massively rewarding especially like when six months down the line someone gets a job that like they've been wanting to do and you've had a 0.1 percent impact on that like uh that's pretty amazing and there's a lot of like management of projects and stuff still a large part of my job is like core strategy and sporting stuff but the race weekends are weird because they have stayed like a lot more static um which is really nice like a lot more structured so like you uh, turn up on the thursday you do all your pre-event briefings to the drivers to the engineers um friday you learn about what's happening in p1 and p2 saturday uh you make a plan for how to like get the most out of qualifying and then really it's p3 is really good for like us estimating like where we're going to be in qualifying what the strategy will be and then like the exciting stuff starts like qualifying uh, determining the strategy like if it's wet or changeable conditions like what tires do we want to be on what tires do we want to start on what flexibility do we have inputting into the run plans like that's not really a task for strategy but like we guide the run plans somewhat and then like where it is our responsibility is like uh, are we safe after our first run do we run again do we sit in the garage and wait in the garage do we abort the lap when we're on the lap so making like proper decisions with seconds of like information to decide on is like really cool um and then immediately when qualifying finishes like the race like probably before qualifying finishes like we started prep for the race three months or four months before the race started but like that's when it gets like exciting like we know the grid order we know what tires people have 
we have more certainty of the weather forecast and then we get into planning for the race and then you do another little loop Sunday morning you brief everyone you prepare them you have your plans that you've spent ages on Saturday night planning and discussing with everyone um so coming up with like all the ways it can fall over like all the ways it would change and how you deal with that and then you get into the race where like you go in having planned millions if not billions of simulations but you're sort of um everything is done like to an element on the fly like we have the plans we execute them something will change that will make everything different so like really you're preparing yourself knowing what levers matter uh, and then you make the decisions live which is just like, quite fascinating if i'm honest like it's like pressured stressful uh but exhilarating when like like you uh make the call that the car's coming in uh you turn around the car comes in but you you don't have the luxury of turning around because you're busy doing other stuff <laughs> but like you, you could imagine that you turn around uh, and have a look the car does a pit stop behind you and zooms off and you see where it comes out on the tv feed and you're like at the same time like when that car's in the pit lane you're normally thinking okay this is like 30 seconds where i can focus entirely on the other car so um <laughs> like you don't get you didn't get a rest but it's it's exhilarating and the race weekends are really structured like it's in a way it's cool every race weekend is different every race is different every lap of the race is different and you'll get challenges that you're never expecting this job is hard because you're competing against nine other teams of really talented strategists but like there's a cadence to it there's a structure to it which is kind of nice like you repeat that 20 or so times a year Wow. I don't know how you find the time in your working day to do all of this. You have so many sort of task roles, responsibilities and lots of little things that you look after. And it's really interesting to hear just what your role spans. It's not just the strategy. It's not just the sporting. It's also people, as you say, that you have a, a lot of involvement with. Now, for some maybe your friends and family initially they might have had some common misconceptions about your role what you what it is that you do you say you work in f1 maybe they might think oh he works on the cars but what what have you come across in your time in formula one when you speak to people and say you work in formula one are there any sort of funny misconceptions that you've come across <laughs> yeah i think the initial reaction is always i'm part of the pit crew which like to be honest <laughs> I'd be like thrilled if I could be part of this pit crew. I would do a terrible job. Oh, I, <laughs> I would do an absolutely terrible job. But like, it's weird how people um, just assume you're part of the pit crew. Um, mm. And even though that's potentially like your main role. And I think in general, people like probably don't understand how many roles there are and how specialized they are. So yeah. when you, when you explain to people what you do, um, especially when it's strategy, then uh, occasionally people kind of understand that you're on the engineering side. They understand that there's some maths involved that you determine when the cars pit. It's very difficult for people who don't watch Formula One to kind of understand that you're not actually changing the wheels or the front wing <laughs> level or something. But it takes some explaining to explain uh, what it actually is. And I think I kind of pitch the explanation always differently, like to people who I think know the sport. Like it's like I do the strategy I'm responsible for the team that decides when we pit, what tyres we fit, um, and when the car comes in, and there's a lot of maths involved. And when it's for people like who will know less about um, how Formula One works or less about engineering, uh, it's like, I have an engineering job. We do lots of fancy maths, which is quite cool. We have to make decisions live. Um, and it determines when the car comes in to the pit lane to change its tyres and stuff, which is actually quite an important thing. 
I'm not involved with actually changing the tires. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you can pick it at different levels. Uh, it's yeah, the job's quite wide ranging. So it's always difficult to boil it down to a handful of things, like or yeah. a couple of mm-hmm. things. Um, I think many jobs in Formula One are quite multidisciplinary in that sense as well. As Steph just said, and as you just touched on, you're involved in lots of different things within your role. It's not just uh, at the races doing the strategy, it's back in the office doing the people side of things as well. And you are also responsible for the McLaren graduate scheme. Can you tell us a bit about your role with that and also what sort of things you actually look for in candidates who are applying? Yeah, so uh, you both said that I'm involved in a lot of stuff and it seems amazing. And uh, I'm involved in a lot of stuff because I work in an amazing team and there's so many of us like contributing to the work. So all of my success and all of like the luxury I have of like indulging all of my like uh, like fantasies of like, this is my dream job. I get to do everything I ever wanted to do. And all of that is down to like the people that I work with Um helping make that happen for me and hopefully I can help help them make that happen for them in the future but like uh, I think it's important to say everything we've talked about like I am a tiny tiny part of and um, it's the graduates like the diverse graduates the diverse strategy team that we have the diverse engineering team that I get to interact with on a daily basis that make all of that possible so Uh, Yeah, so I'm responsible for the engineering graduate scheme at McLaren. We also have a production graduate scheme um, of which Piers is responsible for. And we have some other schemes across the the non-F1 parts of the business as well. So there's, there's a lot on offer at McLaren. The engineering graduate scheme is designed to find the future leaders and the future sort of managers in F1. Like that's, that's our aim. And the way we do that is it's a two year rotational scheme. Uh, you come in for two years, um, you rotate through all the key parts of the F1 business, you learn about how F1 works, and then towards the end of the two years, like we try and find a job that suits both McLaren and that suits you. Fortunate enough mm-hmm. to say that we pretty much place everyone, like not necessarily in their dream job, like some people's dream jobs like might be being a driver or being technical director, which isn't always <laughs> possible two years after being uh, in the scheme, but we've I think we place people pretty much spot on, like in the best roles available for them and like close enough to their dream roles or at least certainly on the path to their dream roles. So I feel really good about that. We won't always be able to do that. Sometimes the job won't be available. We've always managed to do that. And kind of the other benefit of the grad scheme is that you learn what you want to do. I'd say most people who come in have an idea that like, I want to be a design engineer or I want to be a race engineer or an aerodynamicist. And I think uh, on average now, not I think, I know most people have changed from the path that they expressed uh, interviews mm. um, that they'd be most interested in. So it's actually a good way to learn. Uh, it's also like, fun. Like I, I wish I could go around all the departments, do little short projects that add like actual performance to the car get to work with probably 100 200 people in any given year get to know everyone like i wish i could do that now like it's like you it just sounds like an amazing experience so like that's what we try and do for the scheme in terms of what we look for um even though i'm responsible for that i I find that very difficult to like answer like we're looking for smart people proactive people people who are going to work hard it's like it's nice if people have a passion for Formula One. We've taken some people who don't have like 
a passion for Formula One. Like me, many people haven't necessarily wanted to work in F1 for a long period when they apply. Um, and and those people are doing really well as well. So, yeah, we're. I think the only way I can describe it is like we're looking for like the future leaders and managers of the organization who will add new thinking and drive us forwards. And so we try and look for those qualities. I'm the kind of person that has always interviewed and like really appreciated that people are smart. Uh, unfortunately, um, being smart in itself isn't enough. So uh, you have to kind of like pass like a certain level for being smart, for being proactive, like we think you'd fit into the team. Uh, the bar is uh, incredibly high based off how many jobs are in F1 and how many people apply. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really a mixture of things. Like sometimes in a given year, like we hire three or four people, like we might find a cohort of people that are good that can like all contribute to each other in different ways. We might find like four individuals that actually all want to go and work in design or aero, which doesn't suit us in two years' time, but we might take that risk and then see where they end up. Um, but yeah, it's difficult. Like I'm going through CVs at the moment and I I, I think we're down to like the last 50 uh, and we want to plan an assessment centre for probably 15 people. It's like this is a tricky tricky stage of shortlisting and we'll probably take yeah. on board three people but I look at those 50 or so CVs plus probably the top four or 500 CVs and I think I take every single one of these people over myself so um <laughs> like it's it's very difficult to like say what one thing necessarily stands out I think the quality is super high and it's a number of things that we're looking for and at the same time I would like make a massive point about the fact that I never thought I'd get a job in Formula One. I never thought, like I got rejected from many interviews in Formula One uh, over the many years, both when I've had a job and I've looked to change teams and progress in my career. I've been rejected many times. I've never like sat there thinking I'd get this job. Many of the graduates that we've hired didn't think that we'd hire them. Many of the graduates that we've hired have and like many of the people who work here get like feelings of imposter syndrome and think I'm not going to be very mm. good at this job. I'm not going to cope. Like, uh, will I, am I good enough? And like, the one thing I would say is that like, um, in all likelihood you will get rejected. Like perseverance is important and don't rule yourself out. Like m- many of us, if not the vast majority of us or nearly even everyone here, I imagine has had some thinking of like, I'm not good enough for this role or like, I'm not going to get it. It's important you get over that uh, feeling because many of us felt that way. We're lucky here to be doing our dream jobs and you could be in the same situation. Yeah, imposter syndrome is something that is spoken about so much. Uh, Within Formula One as well, I hear about people talking about it so, so often. And I think that it's so easy to let that overwhelm you especially when you're in the early stages of your career but as you've said rejection is just part of the journey and it is such a competitive industry and there is a limited number of jobs but just because you get rejected from one that you've applied to that doesn't mean another one won't come through or it doesn't mean the same sort of role might come back similar to what you said happened earlier on in your career when it sort of did a loop back to Williams so yeah definitely definitely persevere any listeners out here who are um feeling a little bit a little bit down about any rejections that might come your way. Staying on a similar sort of topic, you are also the founder of Clevertree, which is a maths tutoring platform. Can you tell us a bit more about why you established this platform and what sort of things it's actually involved with? Yeah, um, initially with like my plan was move to Australia 
Australia looks cool. Been on holiday. Uh, my parents, <laughs> my parents wanted to emigrate at one stage. Um, I was like, I'm going to move to Australia. It looks really sunny. Um, I'm going to move to Brisbane. <laughs> uh, KPMG threw a spanner in the works because they were like, you can come and work first in Australia and um, choose where you want to work. And I was like, Brisbane. Uh, not Brisbane though. So I ended up in Sydney. <laughs> and um, like at the time, I I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like the KPMG job was amazing, and like it really, um, it really fulfilled me. But at the same time, the Australian work culture was like the work-life balance was very much towards life, and I was enjoying myself. Um, and but I kind of had some capacity. Like it's not like I would say like the work I was doing there was not like to the same extent that Formula One can um, mm. like consume like various parts of your life like I think that's just being honest so yeah there was like a challenge to like do something more um and I was doing lots of like sports stuff learning rowing learning dragon boating and one of my friends from uni had moved out to Australia and he'd set up a little tutoring business and do mass tutoring um for HSC students which are like A-level student equivalent in the UK and so he wrote me in as a tutor I had spare time $50 an hour like it seemed like a great deal so I did some tutoring uh so I would tutor them and I would like, I wanted to do a good job. And uh, I really got on with my students. So I made these like worksheets and I was like, I made these worksheets and gave them some homework. And I was like, like, this isn't part of the lesson, but like, if you want to do some homework and they'd answer them so quickly. And I was like, I can't keep making all these questions. So I wrote a little <laughs> program that would like change the numbers automatically. Um, I wrote like a few questions and then like, I made it like spit out like a hundred questions. I was like, okay there's only three questions in here but the numbers are different like it's helpful for me when I get something wrong to be able to do a different one with uh, different numbers yeah. but the same thing um because mm-hmm. I can prove I can do it instead of just learning the solution uh and they were like this is amazing like they did all 100 questions and I was like did you not get bored and they were like this is amazing like uh can we just pay to have like worksheets instead of like having the tutoring <laughs> I felt a bit offended to be honest. um I was like uh fine like and so and like then the idea just developed into like actually like is it efficient tutoring people one-on-one um or is it better to do something that's like a bit more automated like come up with the concepts of what you're trying to teach come up with some questions put in lots of different numbers and i got to the stage where like you could even write out like a full work solution automatically for any of the questions you generated and so it developed from like building a few worksheets to like replacing myself as a tutor. And it ended up basically becoming most of the HSC syllabus. And like these, uh, I have to call them kids because they were like 17 or 18, but they were young. These kids <laughs> told all their friends at school who were also strangely into maths and wanted to do better at maths. And like at one stage, like the whole school was using it. Um, wow. And yeah, like it just, it ballooned so quickly. Um, and then I had like uh like what really inspired me to like try and finish it off and get it wider than that was um like I think like tutoring is not available to everyone $50 an hour is like a big amount of money and like Mm -hmm. it turned out that everyone I was tutoring went to like a really good school in uh in Sydney and in all of Australia it was one of the top schools and like actually like these worksheets like they could be made available to people who could afford them at like uh, a certain amount, like a low amount. Like we started off at $10 per user per month for people who could afford it. And actually we could offer them for schools that couldn't afford it um, for free. And like, there was no, there's no extra cost. Like 
it's like giving up a little bit mm. of profit, but there's no extra cost. It's made, it's available. And actually that funding model uh, like worked really well. Like the the feedback from people saying, oh God, you helped me understand like the laws of indices. Um, I, I finally got it after doing question 38 and then it made sense and it clicked. Like it feels good. Like, and when you're doing that for like free for those people and other people are like, like it's, it kind of felt like it was balancing the wealth a bit and um, balancing like the knowledge. Like even textbooks are expensive. Textbooks, tutoring, going to a good school, all of those things are well out of the reach of like so many people. So um, yeah, it was kind of nice to try and readdress the balance a bit. Um, it ended up selling the business. Uh, I still used like I went back to Australia. I think it was four or five years ago now. Probably I went back. I randomly saw someone using it on the beach on their laptop. And <laughs> wow. I was like, you should not be doing maths on the beach. Yeah, on, on the, the beach. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's kind of cool. So, yeah. That's amazing. You're clearly very passionate about helping young people succeed and reach their full potential with your involvement in the grad scheme at McLaren and also with your work that you did on Clever Tree. Um, we know that at the moment, F1 are, you know, they're pushing for diversity within the industry, within the sport. But we also know that individuals from underrepresented groups can often feel or come across extra barriers. Um, what, what would you, what advice would you give to the younger generation who are from underrepresented groups who want to get into motorsport but might not know where to start? Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one. I think. I would be surprised if teams as a whole, like even our competitors, uh, who I don't like to say nice stuff about, I would be surprised if any team is not <laughs> having a big focus on diversity and inclusion. I think uh, I would be surprised if anyone in this industry doesn't realise that like a mixture of ideas, a mixture of backgrounds, a mixture of people is going to give you so much better results that it's just a natural thing to do. And so I think like, I think everyone is like thinking of addressing it and is probably making steps on addressing it. Uh, the, when I look at the industry, like it's quite homogenous and I, I think it was more homogenous when I applied. Mm -hmm. I think uh, there's a lack of people from diverse backgrounds. There's a lack of females. There's a lack of people that aren't in like the core uh, STEM areas. Like if I'm honest, like most engineers are uh, white male, um, and have done either mechanical engineering or aeronautics or uh, um, some kind of aerodynamic engineering degree at a UK university. Um, and I, I would just say, don't let that put you off. And I think teams are trying to be more inclusive. I think, um, and also like, I, that's no offense to any of the people who do fall into that group. I think uh, like people who fall into that group of people are just as involved in like adding diversity and inclusion. So I think we like we have like we have a number of things that we have on the go that we are trying to make things better. And we can see some results in making things better. Like um I think the graduate scheme as in my opinion, like one way that we are recruiting new talent into Formula One, the graduate scheme has a higher female to male ratio than some other areas of the business not all areas some areas actually of the business are a quite heavy female to male ratio um for example in uh, marketing and sales it's very much mm -hmm. um the female male ratio i think is reversed um probably there 
But I think in particular, the area that like uh, I'm involved in a lot is how do we increase diversity and inclusion in the STEM recruitment? So we've opened stuff up to different universities. We've done visits. Uh, we actually did uh, a virtual visit this year and we opened it up to anyone, which I thought was really successful, something that we're going to continue with. We visit some universities to encourage people to apply and we try and cycle those universities. I, I'll admit that there's some universities that we get great success from visiting and we get great graduates from. So we visit those universities probably a bit more than we visit new universities and cycle new ones in at the same time we try and cycle into new universities that is like we try and encourage people to apply who think they're not good enough uh, like who were like on the verge of applying but kind of feel like they won't get through we try and like get people from different uh, stem backgrounds to apply for stem roles um, we try and encourage females to apply and we try and encourage people from diverse backgrounds and like one of the like one of the natural ways we have of doing that is we take the grads to these presentations the grads aren't necessarily like as diverse as like what we think an end goal will be but um the grads are a great example for like uh you can get in from any background like actually it's not something we care about like you see the people on stage presenting what they're doing in their graduate scheme and you'll see that like uh henry went to bath and did mechanical engineering anastasia went to ucl and uh did engineering uh, at ucl Anok went to Southampton, like uh, Alvaro is Spanish, but he went to university in Southampton. Like it's a good mix of people. And so hopefully that encourages people. We have some specific initiatives um, that I can't really talk about too much as well. And we have some like, they're both internal, like we try and encourage um, diversity and inclusion internally. Um, and some of those are external, like we have like methods of trying to encourage more female applicants. Uh, we have like, we try and like be, really thorough with like how we treat applicants that are female to make sure that we're not being biased, um, that we have a good amount of like female reviewers of the CVs, female interviews and so on. And we have diverse backgrounds. So we, we try, like we try a lot of stuff. I'd say it's a learning process. Um, I am happy to admit that like we did, that we did this online Zoom call for people of all kinds of backgrounds. Uh, and I tried mm -hmm. to be inclusive with like one of the questionnaire. We wanted to know where people were coming from and so on. I tried to be inclusive in the gender field, and um, but like I think I probably wasn't up to date with like what's actually like the most appropriate thing. Uh, actually, a really good learning experience for me. Uh, next time we do that, like will be more appropriate. There's always going to be things to learn. We'll always make uh, mistakes. I use the word guys a lot. Um, and that's not then not necessarily meant to be gendered. I think I, I said hello, guys, to both of you. I think lots of people do that. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm but, guilty of that as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to like move away to like uh, like a, be a better term and stuff. I think it's just really being open to it. I think being open to it, being willing to learn. And I think there's many people here who are like far more knowledgeable about those kind of topics than I am. And there's many people here who are from like a more diverse background um, or have like are more underrepresented in Formula One than I am. But I think what's really nice is that I find that people are just open. No one wants to be less diverse or less inclusive here that I've spoken to and people are open to learning about how they can do that. So that's that's quite cool for me. Like we will make mistakes, like I will make mistakes. And I hope people see that that's in like the effort of getting better at that stuff. 
I really love how proactive you and the team are clearly being. And I also really like what you mentioned about going to the universities and getting the the graduates to talk to people, because that's a really good way of bringing the sport to people that might otherwise not have access to it or not necessarily be interested in it. It's a good way of actually putting ourselves out there as a sport rather than just waiting for people to come to us, because that's often how it ends up that we don't have the diversity because we get the same the same yeah. type of people uh, funneling through so i think that's a really really um really good way of actually driving the diversity when you speak to people at these university fairs or through the graduate scheme and and different bits that you guys are doing i just did it there guys <laughs> <laughs> um, are there any are there any themes or mindsets that you notice from individuals from underrepresented groups that that they are struggling with or barriers that they think are stopping them from coming into the sport and being successful yeah i think uh what's interesting is we we do these uh we tend what we tend to do is a presentation where the, uh, i talk through like how the grad scheme works the the large part is the grads talk through like their journey as a grad like what they did at university um what they did at mclaren in the grad scheme or what they are doing if they're one of the current ones and what job they're now doing and like i think the general reaction is wow like that that guy that that lady is normal their degree and what they Mm -hmm. did at university isn't very different to what i did and they're doing some like amazing stuff now like amelia's working the simulator with race and test drivers pretty much every other day like that seems unreachable to me and yet she's explained that like she did formerly student at university she went to bath like uh, she's explained the other stuff she did. Like, actually, that's not miles away from what I'm doing. She's explained that she was helped in the grad scheme uh, to learn stuff. And actually, probably that role seemed out of reach to her when she first started. So I think it it shows the achievability of stuff to people. And what's interesting is we have like a Q&A session at the end. And actually, I would say most of the people who ask questions at the end are more heavily from the uh, backgrounds are less represented. and a lot of the questions are do you think i'm good enough like this is what i do do you think i should apply um and i will always be honest with people like i will say to someone like you're doing english i think like you've not really demonstrated like any engineering knowledge like it's a stem degree like maybe there's something better for you to do like maybe um a role in a different area like if you want to work in stem maybe there's some things you can do at university so i'll be honest i will tell people not the right role for you if that's genuinely true the vast majority of the time i say to people i don't know what you're worried about applying your cv is better than mine was like go and speak to one of the <laughs> one of the other guys or girls who's applied like your cv may be better than theirs you should apply and what's strange is like the people this is all like in my head qualitative based off like my understanding of stuff like we don't we don't track this stuff there's lots of stuff we do track and try and improve but this we don't but like my kind of feeling is that the people who are underrepresented in formula one are the people who question their ability to even apply um i think that's a bit of a vicious circle um that we're trying to combat like Mm. people need to apply so that formula one becomes more diverse and then more people like those diverse people are then incentivized to apply because they can see like role models um or people who like have a similar background to them so I think that's kind of like, I think people realize that like, it's not an impossible career. But I think some people just want confirmation of like, is it worth me applying? Application for anything yeah. is like, 
it's a big process and uh, unfortunately most people won't make it through like the vast majority of people won't make it through for the grad scheme and getting that rejection is not easy for anyone like I've been there like so it takes some effort to apply but um, the one thing I would say is just don't rule yourself out you you've got to go for it uh, and if like one of the things you're thinking about is like have I done enough we'll we'll come and talk to people about like what is like a normal entry uh, criteria for like what you do during your degree very different for everyone who's got in uh, if that's one of the criteria like that's easy to answer if the other criteria is like I don't see many people like me doing that job like please please do not think that at all um, like that is not a good reason to rule yourself out and that doesn't mm-hmm. change unless people can get over that hurdle and I, I fully understand it's really hard to get over that hurdle but like it's self-perpetuating and that's something that we like we need to all like help change yeah it's really good as ariana said that you are putting these kind of processes and steps in place and initiatives in place in order to show that you know you can be anyone as long as you you know you have the sort of the background in terms of the the knowledge the engineering knowledge to be able to apply it doesn't matter what your kind of personal background is in terms of where you, where you come from or you know how much money your parents earn and all of that kind of stuff it's kind of irrelevant because it's about your talent and the first step to sort of diversifying the workforce I guess is increasing the talent pool and giving these people and the potential applicants that belief to apply not because they can't see any kind of role models and hopefully in the future that will start to happen I mean as you say you you said earlier in our conversation that the the industry and your field is more diverse now than it was when you first started so we're getting there which is really good um I know you just touched on there the sort of the barriers that the young people that you speak to sort of face and think that are stopping them from applying when you were in their position did you feel any of that did you come across any of those barriers uh yeah like I think uh, every uh so like neither of my parents went to university. Both are smart. Both are super hardworking. Neither of them went to university. And I think kind of like that challenge has existed every step. Like I went to an infant school. I found a step up um, to be hard. Went to, I ended up going to a grammar school. My mum was really keen on that. So you don't pay fees, but like you have to pass an exam to get in. Like I, I, I didn't make it in. Like I was on the waiting list. I somehow got in. Uh, when other people decided not to go and I was at the bottom of the class at the beginning and like it was like horrible and like um I didn't think I'd get through school uh, and then towards the end like it got better uh, went to university at the bottom of the class again and then towards the end it got better got to Formula One and uh, like got in and I'm like wow these people are so amazingly clever like I'm ge- I'm being genuine when I say I had a discussion with someone today not about imposter syndrome but about like, are some of us not good enough to have imposter syndrome? Because, or is that like imposter syndrome squared? Like, uh, I, like <laughs> genuinely, like uh, I've had doubts. I have doubts every day about whether I'm the right person to do this job. There's, especially working with the grads um, and also the all the talented people I get to work with, but especially working with these young graduates coming in. Like, I think it's hard to see the people coming in who are more talented probably more talented than I am now at their age um but definitely more talented than I was at their age and with their level of experience and like 
like sometimes it's like off-putting it's like these these people are amazing i don't deserve to be doing this job um but uh, like i am doing the job and like i'm doing a good i'm doing a good job i hope uh, my boss tells me so and like so i think like those <laughs> kind of like those kind of voices at least for me they're there they've always been there they ebb and flow um i think it's important to like trust in yourself trust in other people and what they say um i had the same thing applying to university i applied to uh, oxford and i had in my head zero percent chance of getting in and i went i went along uh for like the university tours that we like the open days and stuff and they were done by students and the students showed me around i remember this guy showed me around uh and he'd come from birmingham as well uh like probably one of the only people who like had an accent and uh and stuff and like i spoke with him and i was like he's come from not far from where i come from and it inspired me to apply and i i remember doing the same thing myself through the oxford access scheme to encourage other people to apply and yeah i think people just underestimate themselves like i think you have to get over those you have to get over those like voices that say that like you're you're not good enough you have to get over the fact that perhaps like that you don't see many role models that look the same as you um there's lots of information on the internet like i hope we put out a lot of information whenever we do these talks uh try and answer questions where we can and uh grab us and talk to us if you ever see us but like i think genuine genuinely people aren't that different to people who work in formula one i'm sure there's industries where people are smarter than people who work in f1 like it seems far less attainable than than it actually is and the people are far more normal yeah. than actually so i think <laughs> yeah don't be put off is all i can say i know that's i know that's difficult um but yeah don't be put off i know things that help me like people encouraging me uh people believing in me and like people like occasionally being able to see someone that like looks like me or that like has had a similar background has encouraged me so yeah I think that it's really interesting because if we were to ask most people who work within Formula One, I can bet that they would all say that they have the same thoughts, comparing themselves to others and wondering like, do I deserve to be here? Am I smart enough to be here? And oh my God, everyone's so clever. I imagine that it's a feeling that's actually shared across most people within the industry, which in a strange sort of way, I suppose is actually reassuring um, because it means that it's obviously not necessarily true and it, it invalidates it in a sense on a final note why is diversity actually so important to you personally through all your experiences working with the graduate scheme through your time at mclaren all the different roles you've had what is it that you've seen throughout all of those roles that makes you realize that diversity is so so brilliant and something we should seek out yeah it's just i think it's just a mix i'm not sure i can say like any specific thing has like really like caught me like it's not like there was this female engineer and she came up with this idea because she was female like i don't think there's anything mm -hmm. specific like that all i notice is that like people have ideas based off their like past experiences and their like, i think people's background contributes i think uh men and women may think differently about certain things and like have a may have a different approach like not always but maybe like there's some something in there that people can draw on some experiences and the same with people from different backgrounds and different degrees. And like what I find really powerful is that what, what makes us better is being challenged and improving. Like I know in strategy, like um, 
the team is like it's a big team of people and like it's a fact that people challenge like what i do and what each other does that improves us like why did we pit then like why why did you think this was a good idea and i just find that like the more like different kinds of people are involved in those kinds of discussions not just in strategy but in other areas the more different questions you get and the more like potentially opens up to fixing or the more ideas you get um and, like some of the most productive things that i think i've done are like uh things like brainstorming for how to make the graduate scheme assessment center and the application process better at finding the best graduates which was like a working group of like the current graduates and it was like it's circular like it's like help us find better versions of you uh in future years and like that mix of people came up with such a, like an astounding ray of ideas and like we've improved the grad scheme i think each year and like to be honest i'm living off like those ideas for improving from three two or three years ago like still going through them and trying to implement them there were so many good ones um and we're going to do something very similar soon so yeah i think just the ideas the experiences that people bring uh, the different way of thinking sometimes um and i think i think diversity does also have like a tangible effect on people being willing to say like why do you do it like this like i've never seen this before like why do you do it like that uh, i think that's really powerful i think that's really important uh when you're working in such a, a field where it's about small margins and everything's cutting edge like sometimes it takes someone to come along and say why are you doing it like that to realize that you're not doing it in the best possible way Well, that was an absolutely brilliant conversation with Randy and I definitely could have continued chatting with him for longer. I hope him sharing his journey all the way from school up to where he is now has inspired some of you listening. And of course, he shared fascinating insight into all the different bits that he's involved with within McLaren. And it's much more extensive than I imagine most of us would have expected. Yeah, I'm definitely with you there, Ariana. That was such a really interesting conversation. And he also shared with us such an important message of not being too disheartened by rejection. Because in a sport as competitive as F1, there may well be rejection, but you just have to keep the faith that ultimately you will get to wherever you are meant to be. Absolutely. And it may not all happen in the order you expect, but it's still so important to put in the work and stay dedicated. One of the things that I love the most about talking to Randy is how incredibly passionate he is about helping others. And although he is very humble about it, it is wonderful that he invests so much into people development. And more widely, it's really promising to hear about the work that he and McLaren are doing to drive diversity through the graduate scheme and the other initiatives that he mentioned. Yes, so promising. Randy mentioned actually that a common theme he sees when talking to individuals through the graduate scheme is, you know, self-doubt and questioning whether they're good enough to work within F1. And this is something that he notices more and more from those in underrepresented groups, which is a really interesting but sad observation. And it's through seeing these individuals from similar backgrounds in the sport that people will be inspired and realise there is a place for them. And I really look forward to seeing what progress is made within McLaren and also the industry as a whole. If you want to keep up to date with Randy as he travels with the team this season, check him out on Twitter and Instagram at randysingh86. If you're not already, find us too on Instagram at we are driven by diversity. We'll be back next Tuesday for another great chat. 